What God did this last week in Times Square Church through four days of prayer and fasting to me was almost historic. We had four days of prayer and fasting every single night that started last Sunday night. We began to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then on Monday night, we prayed for people to be healed. Tuesday night, we prayed for students and teachers and those in the Department of Education that God would give them the power to stand. And then from our Summit Bible School, our Summit campus, we began to pray for the power of deliverance, that God would break addictions and break sin cycles and break things in families. And we have seen something epic and historic. The number of people that were prayed for online and in person and the miracle stories that we're hearing every single day has just literally brought me to tears and brought such rejoicing in my heart. The numbers that we prayed for online, I want to say this to you, and those that were here in the service, I want to tell you the numbers, but I can't. There's a reason why I can't do it. The numbers that would come to the pre-service prayer meeting at 6 p.m. every single night that would fill this place and were just simply us praying and you'd hear the voices of the intercessors here was incredible. And I want to tell you the numbers, but I can't. And I want to tell you why in a moment. Pastor Carter Conlin, um, our general overseer, started something on Tuesday nights that we are going to continue, and that is before the service starts at 7 p.m., we are going to continue what God has done in our hearts during this prayer and fasting to meet here every Tuesday at 6 p.m. to cry out to God. And we're going to be here. The sanctuary will be open, and we'll be praying over all those requests that came in. But let me tell you why for a moment here. It was my third response this week to a pastor that was wondering what was happening in New York City, what was going on there. And it was on my third text that I was sending to a pastor at a different part of the country. I was telling him about the numbers that were were being prayed for online, being prayed for right here. And I heard God speak to my heart and say, stop texting numbers. Stop texting the numbers. You're dangerously approaching the boasting and the pride line. Stop immediately. And I did stop. And I felt God say, just tell them the stories of what I did. Miracle stories honor me. Numbers honor you. And I felt the Holy Spirit clearly speak to my heart and say that. And I assumed that what I was doing was right until God stopped me. And I'm so thankful for the voice of God. I'm so thankful for his voice. Even when it's and I'm, I'm thankful for the stops as well as I'm thankful for the goes. And it reminded me of a prayer that I want to, I want to re- give to you that I used to pray. And I stopped praying but picked it back up again from Psalm 139. Listen to what David said. Search me, O God. Know my heart and try me and know my anxious thoughts. And here it comes. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Look at that phrase again, that last verse 24. See if there be any hurtful way in me. That word actually means path of pain. See if I'm on a path that would be painful, that if I get to the end of it, I'm going to find consequences that would have, been, that would have literally been avoided if I just would have listened and would have prayed. Verse 23, search me, O God. And so just for a moment, I want to read to you a healing story. No numbers, just a healing story 
of what God did on Monday night as we laid hands and prayed with those online and in person. This is a Tuesday report we got from a connect group from a, and, and, a, and, and a prayer time that happened online. So connect group and online. Let me read it to you. Our group has walked with Annabelle, and we've received permission to say this. Our group has walked with Annabelle when she found out that she had a mass on her colon and was much larger than the doctors thought. Surgery went long as it attached to a large and small intestine as well. Her connect group fasted and prayed for her on Monday night while she was in bed home from the hospital. The doctor told her before the, the, the biopsy came and he was absolutely sure it was cancerous. Wednesday, the report came in as she went to see the doctor and said, there is no cancer. This is an absolute miracle of what God is doing. I want you to write this down for the next few moments because some of you, if you didn't have the chance to join us or this is your first time visiting us, this is what I've learned over the four decades of ministry. Prayer and fasting does three things. Jot these down. Things get clearer, things get exposed, and things happen faster. Let me say that again. When you fast and pray, these three things, I've watched it my entire life in ministry. Things get clearer when you fast and pray. Things get exposed and things begin to happen faster. While I was praying on, on, on Tuesday night with a student and a mom, I remember the student and the mom came up from the DR. I simply just asked the young man. Folks, it was just very simple. He responded simply. I did. And I just said, he gave me his name. And I just said, I looked at him. I just said, are you born again? He looked at me and, and, he, and he wasn't. And, I, and what I did there at this altar is what I do for you and will do at the end of the service. I took five minutes, explain what born again is. I went through ABC, said, do you want to pray this prayer? I want to pray this prayer. I want to be born again. And watched a young 16-year-old boy get born again because things happen faster. You don't have to push. You don't have to make things happen. When you begin to seek God, I'm telling you, things happen faster, but things get exposed. When I was telling the leaders about the numbers, I spoke with such confidence about something that God was saying, stop. And it scared me. Listen, it scared me to be so confident about something that was hurting God's heart. It, 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 it scared me at that time. And, in a, and that's what I, that our story is today. I want to talk to you about the danger of confidently accepting what God is adamantly rejecting. I want to talk to you about accepting, confidently accepting, which I was doing, what God is adamantly rejecting. And adamantly is an understatement in our story. In my case, it was just about numbers for four nights. But for the nation of Israel, it was a prophet that was so close to sending Israel on a spiritual decline again, as if Saul's first reign was bad, wasn't bad enough, they were about to put in place another horrible king. And in 2 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel was saying surely to something that God was saying absolutely not. That scared me. The prophet was saying, surely, and God was saying, absolutely not. Quick background, Saul disobeys God in 1 Samuel 15. 
And disobedience is so egregious that God rejects his king, his kingdom and him being anointed as the king and says, I'm going to choose somebody else. You're out. And Saul knew this. It wasn't even a secret to Saul. This is what Samuel said to him. So Samuel said to him, him being Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor. We, we don't know who that is at that moment. We do in the next chapter. Who is better than you? Don't miss this now, what I'm about to say. I don't know where I heard this from, but boy, did this convict me. God is the only employer who will fire you and let you keep your job. Don't miss this. God is the only employer who will fire you and let you keep your job. Because we don't have the discernment to recognize his hand is off of us. Think about this. Saul becomes king in 1043 BC. David was anointed finally to become king in 1024 BC. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? You ready for this? Saul keeps his job for 20 unanointed years. He wouldn't, he wouldn't relinquish his position and title, even though God goes, my hand is off of you. And, and now God is about to choose another neighbor. In 1 Samuel 16, he's about to identify the neighbor better than Saul. It's going to be David. Between chapter 15 and chapter 16 is four years. It's just, in, in the Bible, it reads fast. But Samuel, when he goes on his mission in chapter 16, it goes it, it, it seems to be to happening the next day, but it's not. Many believe that it was Samuel grieving over Saul. But always remember this. I want you to live on, on, for your own life. I know it's true in, my, in, in our life. It's true in the church. Always remember this. When God removes something or someone, he has someone or something better. When God is saying enough, the time is done, he is going to do something better. Now, don't look at your husband don't look at the person next to you at this point. A huge decision is about to be made that will be a huge mistake unless there's a word from the Lord. Samuel is saying absolutely to something that God's saying absolutely not. And today is a plea. It's a plea. It's a plea for us as a church. It's a plea to my own heart. It's a plea to those that are watching from Greece and the UK. It's a plea to those that are visiting with us today that we need the voice of God today more than ever. We need to hear what God is saying. There is the rare person that says these words that Samuel used to say when he was a young child. Speak, Lord. Look at those words. For your servant listens. Those are Samuel's words. There's a rare person that says, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Most of the majority today is this. Listen, Lord, for your servant's speaking. That's what we're saying today. Listen, Lord, not speak, Lord, but listen, Lord, I'm talking to you. Listen to these numbers of Bible chapters about Bible characters and leaders, because there are more chapters on David's life than any other figure in the Bible other than Jesus. Abraham and Joseph have 14 chapters about them. Jacob gets 11 chapters. Elijah, 10 chapters. And ready for this? David has 66 chapters in the Bible dedicated to his life. 66. And if Samuel isn't 
stopped by God, we lose 66 chapters of his life and 150 chapters of the book of Psalms. They're all gone. Think of it. If God doesn't speak, if Samuel doesn't listen, mine was simple. Stop telling people about numbers. Be quiet. But for Samuel to hear the voice of God, if he was in the mode of, listen, God, I'm speaking, and wasn't in the, in the mind frame of, speak, Lord, your servant listening, the blunder would have been literally epic. Listen to what, he, here it comes. First Samuel 16, 6. When they entered, he looked at Eliab, important name. This is David's oldest brother. And he thought, here comes the words, surely, this is Samuel speaking, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. This is Samuel. This is the prophet. Why wouldn't you believe these words? Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Now watch what comes next. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart is what he says. Look at that for a moment. How, how scary is it? When I read these words, how scary is it to say, to say yes to something that God is saying no to? It's even scarier to imagine the consequences if God, if there isn't a verse 7, if God just goes, you did it again. They choose Saul because he's the tallest guy. And they're about to do the same thing. And God goes, no, no, no. No, this is not what I'm asking. I'm, I'm, God is literally adamantly rejecting what man is confidently approving of. Samuel, who has access to God's voice, blows it because he assumes God accepts what he accepts, which is going to be the wrong next king. He assumes because I said it, then God must believe what I'm doing here. If, if God doesn't step in, and folks, I'm telling you, this is not just for Samuel. This is not just the conviction of my owner. We all have to be careful and say, God, what are you saying? I love what the author Anne Lamont says. She said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you hate. You better be careful because you may, you may be dissing people and putting people aside that God goes, no, 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 no. Don't you, don't you go ahead and put that on me. Don't create God in your own image. I, I, if, God, if God was to come even right now, as I thought about this, that David could have been missed because a prophet was accepting what he saw with his own eyes. See, the challenge is making decisions not with our eyes, but with our spiritual ears tuned to the voice of God. Think of it for a moment, Times Square Church. Those that are watching from Ghana, those that are watching from St. Lucia, or those that are with us watching from Ireland. I want you to listen for a moment, or the UK. Samuel missed it, the prophet. Jesse missed it, his own dad. Eliab missed it. Remember this. Chop this down. Adrian Rogers, the great Baptist preacher from Memphis, said, just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense to God. See, there is a danger 
from jobs to divorces, that just because all the boxes are ticked and because everybody else is saying do this doesn't mean you confidently accept what God is adamantly rejecting. Accepting a job that ticks all the boxes. You need God's approval, not boxes ticked. You need to hear what God is saying to you. Some are thinking, and I felt so strongly about this today. Some are watching, and I believe this, even in the U.S., some are watching online, and you're on the verge of a divorce simply because everyone in your circle is telling you to get it. And I want you to understand, you're accepting what others are telling you, but rejecting what God has spoken about divorce. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, that, that everybody else around me must, must know more than I do. And instead of turning to what the Bible has to say about it, you're making decisions on what you see in others instead of what God is speaking to us. The second king of Israel was almost Eliab. It almost was Saul and then Eliab. If God doesn't step in, then you're seeing this all wrong. Jot this verse down and just hold it in your, in your pocket for, for a moment. Proverbs 20, 25 says this. It's a trap for a man to say rashly, it's holy. Look at that verse again. It's going to stay up there for a second. It said it's, it's dangerous. It's a trap. that if you were to say quickly, that's holy. That's right. Let's do that. When God is going, pause, walk in discernment, hear what the voice of God is speaking to us. Before we simply just jump into it, because our eyes see it. See, 1 Samuel 16 starts out with God speaking to Samuel and going to Bethlehem for David. Look at what it says in 16.1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, and five verses later, his surely, this must be God's anointed, was surely wrong. It wasn't what God was saying. How can the prophet say surely to something that God was saying never to. Never will this man be king. And you're looking at this with such confidence. You're a prophet. Tim, you're a pastor. Because the bigger question is this, church. L listen, and this is where my own heart got examined. Remember, when you fast, things get clearer, things happen faster, and things get exposed. And my own heart was getting exposed. And all I thought was this. How many times have I said surely to something that God has rejected because of what I saw naturally, but never stopped to hear what God was saying. But never just pause and say, God, what are you saying to me? That just because I can see it, just because I, I, everybody else is looking at it, what does that mean for us? How many Christians, starting with me, and churches are doing things by what they see and not what they hear? Because they saw something. See, much of the church today moves on sight and not on the voice of God. When you move on sight, you find just simply copies of everything looks like cookie cutting because nobody's hearing what the voice of God is saying. We see and do the same thing others do. What is God saying to us? Pastors, leaders, what is God saying for your church? What is God speaking to you? We have divorced the voice of God from leadership and from our pulpits, and we've taken a shortcut, and we assume that because it's on Instagram and YouTube and on a church site, that surely this must be what God wants us to do. And nothing could be further from the truth. God is asking us, even at our church, to go, what am I saying to you? What's the voice of God speaking to us? Not simply just what we want to do. If Samuel 
who just talked with God can miss it. Oh my goodness, I can miss it. And I want to hear the voice of God. I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I want to hear what God is saying to us. I had a call yesterday morning from a pastor in the Midwest. And he said he was praying for me in Times Square Church for this Sunday. He said, we, he, he said God put us on his heart. He said he knew we were going through a week of prayer and fasting. And he asked me about what I was sharing. And I shared with him what, what God was speaking to my own heart and convicting me of. And he said, I have to tell you a dream that I had. He said, Pastor Tim, I don't know if this is going to mean anything, but let me just tell you what this dream was. He said, I had this dream. He says, do whatever you want with it. And I asked, I said, I said can I share this? He said, absolutely. He said, I, I woke up in the middle of the night because I had a dream that I was on a bus with the church. And he said, the bus stopped at a bus stop. And as soon as the door opened, snakes and serpents came on the bus. He said, I was fighting the snakes, but I was watching the church take the snakes and put them in their backpacks and their purses. He said, some of the pastors were fighting. Some were taking them, put them in briefcases and putting them in their, in their backpacks and putting them in their purses. And all he knew was this. He said, God, help us if we're holding on to things that we should be fighting against. God, help us that we would hear the voice of God when he's speaking to us. That between verse 6 and 7, before, between Saul or Samuel choosing a second king that would just literally brought the whole of Israel in decline. The consequences are catastrophic. Is Listen to me. Is the precious voice of God. The thing that saved them was God speaking to them. And oh, do we have to hear the voice of God today. We have to hear his voice today. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today. I want you to jot down these three things. How can we hear the voice of God today? How do we hear the voice of God today? I, don't, I want to just be as simple as I can just to help you. Number one, jot this down. I thank God we have the written word of God. Thank God for the written word of God. Thank God for his Bible. I heard one person say it like this. If you have a Bible that's falling apart, then you'll have a life that's not falling apart. If your Bible is falling apart, it means that you're reading it. See, reading the Bible gets you acquainted with the voice of God. And the challenge is to read it and hear his voice every single day as you open. Folks, we, we will listen to podcasts. We'll watch YouTube. We'll read books about God. Read the Bible. Read the word of God. If there's any place, listen, I'm even telling you, don't read the 260 journey in, in, in place of that. Read the Bible. Read what the Bible is telling us. It's the one place we know God is speaking to us. It's the one place we know that. We have the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God in our possession. Men have died so we can have this in print. And it's a protection against accepting what God is rejecting. I need the word of God. I want the word of God for my life. On, on my iPad that I'll preach from, I have a home screen of a statue in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. It's the statue of a man named Philip Brooks. He's a pastor. He was a pastor of Trinity Church in downtown Boston many, many years ago. And it's, a, and it's a statue. I have no idea why it's down there other than the historic Trinity Church. And it's a picture of him at a pulpit preaching. His hand is up and he's preaching. 
And, and folks, when I saw it, I took a picture and I said, I want to keep that before me every time. And right behind him is Jesus himself with a hand on his shoulder as he's preaching. I keep that on here to remind myself every time I stand behind the pulpit, I don't, I need to feel the presence of Jesus in this place. I want his touch upon me. And folks, can I tell you the safest place is when you preach the word of God, I know that honors Jesus himself. Phillips Brooks said these words. Don't miss this. He said this. He said, the Bible is like a telescope. If a man looks through his telescope, he sees worlds beyond. But if he looks at the telescope, he doesn't see anything but that thing. The Bible is a thing to be looked through and that which is beyond. But most people only look at it. Folks, open this book up every single day and you will see worlds beyond of what God can do. When you leave this place, open this book. When you ride the F train, open this book. If you're riding a plane, open this book. When you get up in the morning, open this book. When we read this book, we get the voice of God that's speaking to us every single time. We need the voice of God today. Number two, I don't think we ever talk about this, but we have the mind of Christ. I want to read to you how important this is. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually, don't miss this word, spiritually appraised. Spiritually appraised. And then it says this, but he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that will instruct him? And here it comes. But we have the mind of Christ. Thank God for that. I believe everyone who's here and born again, you have the mind of Christ. That means you, will, you can know what God is thinking about what's in front of you. What God is speaking about how to respond, what's in front of you. Whether you're in an office or whether you're in a stadium, whether you're at a university or whether you are just in, in a family setting, I believe you, if, if when you're born again, you get the mind of Christ. And it says this, you'll be, you'll be able to spiritually appraise. That word is important. Jot this down. Spiritually appraise means to look at something and see the real price and value of it. It means that you are an appraiser, that you can see what others don't see. Others may see junk, and someone may look at it and say, no, 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 that has value to it. Two words changed the life. I was reading their story just recently of Leanne and Sean Tui, and the two words came from spiritually appraising a situation. They had the mind of Christ and, and felt that the mind of Christ, if you appraise the situation, they were called, the two words that changed their life were these two words, turn around. That changed, they said it changed our entire life and it really became our mission because we had the mind of Christ. We spiritually appraised a situation and there was a movie about their life based on those two words because they rescued a young boy from the streets. This Christian couple's having the mind of Christ they did a whole movie that won all these awards called The Blind Side. The Blind Side is about this Christian family who took in a homeless young man 
gave him a chance to reach God's given potential. And Michael Orr not only dodged the hopelessness of the projects that he was being raised up in, but became eventually the first round NFL draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens in 2009. And Sean Tui noted that the transformation happened when they spotted Michael walking along a road on a November night with only a t-shirt and a pair of shorts. And he said, at that moment, my wife and I, they spiritually appraised and heard the mind of Christ say, turn around. And that said, when they turned their vehicle around that night, their whole life changed that night. Because they had the mind of Christ. They spiritually, instead of it just being some random man on a road, instead of it being some dangerous situation, the mind of Christ appraised it for them, which turned everything around for them. Oh God, give me the mind of Christ. God, give us the mind of Christ today. I need the mind of Christ. I am thankful for the written word of God. I am thankful for the mind of Christ. And let me close with this. Not only do we have the Bible, not only do we have the mind of Christ, but jot this down. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is the referee. He blows the whistle when I get out of bounds. How many have heard the whistle before? You just, you're about to do something and all of a sudden you hear foul. Happened in the office yesterday. I was talking to a precious, precious pastor, an Irish pastor who's now serving in South Africa, a wonderful young man. And I obeyed God what he told me to do on not saying numbers about prayer and fasting. And then I was talking to him and he was asking about what happened this last week and numbers were about to come, come literally come out of my mouth. And I heard the whistle, foul. I said it was a great week. God did great things. And I told him a couple miracle stories and that was it. I heard the whistle. God's voice is tantamount for the church today. It's, 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 it's a necessity for what we need. And what is scary is if a prophet can select what God rejects. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want, I don't want staff. I don't want, I don't want music. I don't want leaders or youth leaders. I don't want any of us. And I know these people. When I think of our leadership team, and I know they're of the same heart, none of us want to accept what God is rejecting. And if God says, no, pause, stop, and he blows the whistle. So thankful to work with these that see that. I don't want to be part of what the great Christian writer A.W. Tozer said. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of them would just keep going on and no one would know the difference. God help us. I can't stand up here without the Holy Spirit. I can't speak without the Holy Spirit. I don't... If he doesn't come, I'm not going. Saul, this is, this is what I think. Can I tell you what I think the number one thing the Holy Spirit says today is apologize. I really do. I just think, and, and we don't even get that right. We want him to speak on all these things. I think if you can't, if the Holy Spirit stops you and says apologize to them, say you're sorry. If you can't get that, why would he entrust you with anything else? And I feel like that's the number one thing he keeps telling me, apologize. I did it before we came out. I, we, were, we were praying and I said something. I was thanking some, some of our elders and I just, and I said something and I felt the Holy Spirit goes, apologize. I'm going like, why do you blow the whistle on me? Why can't, there's so many other messed up people, blow the whistle on them. I feel like all I hear you do is tell me to apologize. 
I want people to start apologizing to me. I apologize. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. Saul is rejected in 1 Samuel 14 and 15 as the king. The whistle was blown. He was about to step into the role of being a priest and sacrifice. He wasn't supposed to. He was impatient. God blew the whistle. He blew right by the whistle. Then in 1 Samuel 15, it's almost as if God was giving him a second chance. God told him, I want you to do, this is how I want you to fight this battle. And Saul, in his own arrogance, blows by the whistle again. And never once do you ever hear from this man, I messed up. Never once do you hear that. And the only thing that separated Israel and another rejected king from taking over was the voice of God. To think that from Saul you'd get an Eliab is, is just devastating to think of those words. It's just God wanting us to listen. I, I was reading through a missionary's book to, or his, he's a missionary to India, and I was reading some of his books, one particular, just a couple days ago. His name was E. Stanley Jones. And E. Stanley Jones tells of the time he was about to board a plane in India. And he said he heard God through the Holy Spirit telling him, don't get on that plane. Don't get on that plane. And he didn't. And tragically, he learned later that the plane crashed and there were no survivors on that plane. And he was interviewed by the news and they said, you mean to say that you were the only one that God told not to get on that plane? And E. Stanley Jones says this, by no means, but could it be possible I was the only one listening? He's always speaking. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want to hear what he's saying something to me. I want to hear. I want you to hear. I want us to hear. And all I thought about, Saul is rejected as king, and so was Eliab in 1 Samuel 16. And all I thought was this phrase. You'll see it on the screen. And, and, but can you imagine if Eliab was the second king of Israel? We see a little bit of his consequence in the very next chapter. It's the only time you hear this man speaking. This man gets one shot to talk, and he's talking about David. And if he becomes king, this is my assessment. You'd never have heard of the story of David and Goliath if Eliab was king. You never would have heard of that story. Why? Not only was he rejected, listen to his words. We get just a glimpse of his consequence because he would have sent his brother home. How do we know that? Listen to verse 28. The only time this man gets to talk and he blows it in the Bible. Here it is. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, that was the one that was going to be king, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him, David, and said, why have you come down here? This is the next king of Israel. Surely this must be God's anointed. I want to slap Samuel. And with, someone says, apologize. I apologize. I don't want to slap Samuel. Whoever that is, I apologize. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down to only one. There's your second king of Israel. Can you imagine? That's, he gets one shot to get his name and lights in the Bible, and that's what his statement is. 
I would have just said, hallelujah. And then I would have just backed off. No, he's going to assess by what he saw. Eliab is clueless. He has, a, he has an insecurity problem, an anger problem. He doesn't see the future in his little brother. It would have been, he would have been worse than even Saul. He sees his brother, but he doesn't hear God. He hears, the bo- he hears his brother, but cannot see God. Every day, and I close with this, every day in London, millions of people see the most famous clock on the planet. They see it, but no one hears it. Right in downtown London, every single hour, Big Ben begins to chime. Every hour on the hour, those that are watching from the UK, you may be here from London. The most famous clock in the world, London's Big Ben, stands by the House of Parliament, towers over Westminster Abbey as a familiar landmark. And every single day, They see, but they don't hear. Every day, 24 times a day, that clock plays this one tune. And it's this. I know my Redeemer lives. Every day, people see the clock, but don't hear the message that the Redeemer lives. The Redeemer lives. That's the chimes that's being played. And well, know what's scary when I think about it? Some of you have come in here, like Pastor Patrick, you saw a choir, you saw amazing music, you've been here, you look at a theater, and you see it, but you could walk out of here missing what God is speaking to you. Don't look at what's here. Listen to what God is saying to you. Don't walk out of here. I'm here to tell you, let your spirit hear this. Your Redeemer lives. Your Redeemer loves you. Your Redeemer died for you, and your Redeemer can save you today. Don't look at this place, because some of you are looking at your watch going, we've got to hurry up to, to get our car. We've got to hurry up and get this life. We've got to hurry up and get out of there. We've got to hurry up and do this. And all of a sudden, you're looking at everything else instead of hearing what God is saying to you today. And literally, while you're trying to move and get out, God is speaking to our hearts today. And that's why I want to tell you, you're telling yourself it's time to go. But, and don't wait, don't decide. But I'm telling you, it's the most important decision you can make in this place today. And you know you're supposed to make it because God's speaking to you today. God's talking to you today. Because Jesus is speaking to every heart that's in this place that doesn't know what it's, it is to have a relationship with him. That relationship with God doesn't come from just being in the church, being in a religious building. It's not you being in here. Listen, those at home, those that are watching from around the country, it's not you being in here online or you being here in person. It's Christ in us. That's the relate. Let that ring in your heart today. It's Christ in us, not you in a place. Christ in us. And that relationship is called being born again. That's what it's called. It's the most important question anybody could ever ask you, whether, wherever you're visiting from, wherever you're tuning in from. It's the most important question anybody can ask is, have you been born again? And someone responding, your response back is this. Well, I've been baptized or I've, I've go to the mosque or I've gone. I'm a good person and or I've, I've been christened. 
I've been dedicated. My parents are religious. I don't hurt anybody. Those are all great things, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. I want to say something to you. I want you to listen to me. I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes you've ever lived to get you to heaven. Let me say that again. I, you could say I'm a good person. I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes because the Bible says we're all sinners and we must be born again. That our lives have to change. Well, Pastor Tim, what do you mean by born again? These are Jesus's words, not Times Square Church. Jesus said, just as you have had a first birth, you need a second birth. A first birth doesn't get you to heaven. A first birth doesn't change your life. A first birth doesn't bring forgiveness to your sins. The first birth doesn't give you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The first birth, just because you were born in a hospital, doesn't give you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the second birth. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? It's as simple as ABC. It's A. It's admitting that I'm a sinner. That all of us, no matter how much money you make or how many homes you have or what your 401k is or where, wherever you're at, or if, whether you live in the projects or a penthouse, every single one of us have a condition and it's called sin and we can't fix it with a promise, a program, a priest, a pastor, a synagogue. A Only God can fix it. We're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance. We all need a second birth today. It's called being born again. Well, how does that happen? That's the B word, believing. Believing that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die for me and in my place, that he would become my sin bearer. It was God telling us, the planet, if I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have to come and die on the cross. But Jesus' death was being my sin bearer, dying the death that I was supposed to die, living the life that I couldn't even live and giving me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I don't even deserve and confessing him as Lord, Jesus as Lord. Jesus did not come and die on the cross to get us to sit in a chair on a Sunday in a religious meeting. Jesus came not to get a hold of you for two hours and said, would you listen to me at least for two hours a week? Uh-uh. Jesus didn't come to get you to church. Jesus came to get you to heaven forever and ever and ever. That's why he came. And that can change today. How will it change today? I'm going to ask everyone in this place, would you close your eyes and bow your heads for just a moment as we get ready to close? I'd like you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Those that are watching online, it's the most important question anyone can ever ask you is, have you been born again? I believe God is speaking to people's hearts here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna manipulate you. I'm not gonna harass you. I'm not gonna try to, to get you to do, I'm, I believe God is speaking to hearts. And so whether you're watching online, if you, I, I'm gonna challenge you to make the greatest decision of your life, to decide today. And I want God in my life. I want to be born again. That whoever you are today, maybe this is, maybe you have been going to church and never heard anybody begin even to break it down to be born again. You're going, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do. Because when you become born again, it's not about a church building. God is with you every single day. It's not about church services. It's, he's with you every day. You hear his voice. You have the word of God, the written word of God, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. 
and the mind of Christ. And today that can happen. I want to pray a born again prayer. I want to pray a prayer that literally starts a journey with God. And some of you are going, well, I've got some things wrong in my life. So I want to wait until I fix those wrong answer. You don't get good and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he makes you good. There's not anything else you can try to fix to make God love you anymore. He loves you the way you are. But the greatest thing about it is, and loves you so much, he won't leave you in that condition. That's the problem sometimes with the church that we forget. The church forgets. He does love people just the way they are, but loves them so much, he won't leave them in that condition. He comes to change us from the inside out. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you one question. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born-again prayer, man, I want my life to be changed. I want to be part of that prayer. Would you put me in that prayer today? I want to start a journey with God. I hear him speaking to me today. I hear God talking to me today. I hear him. And so right now, I'm putting aside everything that I want to do, and I'm saying, God, I accept what you want for me, and you want my life. You don't want a religious person. You want a relationship with me. So today, I walk in a relationship with you today. And today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born-again prayer, I want to be part of it. If that's you, without any hesitation, if that's you, I want you to hold up your hand as high as you can. Say, put me in that prayer. Hold it up as high as you can. I want to make sure I see every hand that's up. Keep them up. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see everyone about twenty-two, twenty-three. Keep them up. I want to make sure twenty-four. 25, got you all the way in the back. Thank God you can put your hands down. Those 25 people can put your hands down. Now, if you're watching online, if that's you, come on, type in decided into that chat line. We have people that are going to get ready to pray with you, and I'm going to pray with you right now. But church, I want to believe that these 25 are making a decision because God is speaking to them today. God is talking to them. I want to believe for the Holy Spirit to do something for those online that are typing in decided. Can we pray this together? Come on, let's pray this together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt. And you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.